If you're a Disney Plus subscriber and you're watching The Mandalorian, Jack and I have a podcast for you. Every week, we'll discuss the latest episode of The Mandalorian and talk about other great content and maybe some not-so-great content on Disney Plus as well. As two lifelong Star Wars fans, we have a ton of fun geeking out over all the little details of the show, and we want you to join us every Monday. So search for Disney Plus Reviews. That's Disney P-L-U-S Reviews. Hey, Phil, how about that, Baby Yoda? Baby Yoda says, what's the podcast? Set your day on fire with Quality Check Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Daniel Posey, with my voice breaking in and out today, thanks to allergies. But joining me, as always, who is lighting a flame across the internet, it's Drew Douglas. There we go. Yeah, I got my lighter ready and I'm I'm ready to set something on fire. <laughs> I don't know. You got <laughs> You got you got to be careful with that, Drew. It's not a toy, as Zac Efron said in the brand new Firestarter movie. Mm, boy, you know what's funny? I don't remember that really happening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm actually curious to find out more about how you watch these movies because on this episode, if you haven't guessed, we're going to be talking about Firestarter, actually two Firestarter movies, the one that came out in 1984 and then the one that just came out recently, the 2022 version that you had a choice of going to the theater or watching it at home on Peacock. So Peacock. Yeah. Yeah. Your choice. You get to decide. Uh, So we're going to be diving into that. We're both huge Stephen King fans. We love the King of War, but Drew, I got to ask just to make sure to clarify, have you read the book Firestarter? I've never read it, which we usually like to watch these things. Um, kind of through the lens of we've read the book. Now let's see how they adapt it. I actually kind of had fun watching both of these movies, having no real concept of mm-hmm. King's original story, except for whatever, you know, however the film turned out. Yeah. And that was actually something for me going into this. I was the same way because I have not read the book listen to the audiobook. I don't really have any connection at all to the original source material other than, honestly, it, to me, sounded like an X-Men story. And even growing up, reading about this, I'm like, oh, well, it's like Stephen King's take on the X-Men. And I find that fascinating because he returned to a similar story, if you will, with the Institute, which is about a bunch of kids who they're like Charlie freaking McGee where they've all got powers or they're being experimented on. Not good. Did you like that one? Have you read that one? I have not have. Did you end up reading that? Yeah, I wasn't big on it. I always took Firestarter as a kind of re revamped version of his very first published novel, Carrie, Mm. but altered in a way and then probably expanded upon in terms of, we have multiple people with powers, which going into the new one, I did. I thought she had powers. I didn't know there was some government angle. I didn't know her mom and dad, at least in the movies, uh, had powers as well. So that, that yes, I, I get the X-Men vibes that you're talking about. Yeah, and that's where, for me, going into this kind of blindly, I did not know what to expect. I did know there's going to be the element of Charlie, the young Charlie, she had these powers, but I did not know that her parents had powers. And I did know briefly that there would end up being a secret government agency, or there's a reason for them being on the run. But this is, uh, it's kind of weird because they're like the first movie and the new movie feel different because of that on the run element. I feel, um, very different in those regards. So that's why we're going to be doing a little compare and contrast in terms of which did it better for the old Firestarter or the new Firestarter. And it's kind of broken down into five parts. So yeah. Do you want to talk about the uh, 2022 version, like initial thoughts when you, did you see this in theaters or did you watch this at home? So I want, I actually went to the theater to see this and wow. Anybody, was yep. there anybody in the theater with you or the one, auditorium? One other person. And I'm, <laughs> one other sad bastard yeah. <laughs> watching 
uh, a pretty bad movie. Sitting, no joke, in the very far back corner. Um, and as I, oh, it's creepy. Yeah, it was actually. I don't know. I, you know what? If I'm going by myself more often than not, if there's, well, this is a situation where you are the only other person, but if there's, you know, a bunch of other people there, I like to be in the back corner for whatever it's like a little comfort zone, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's one of those things that it's, I would say like going in, I always like to look now that all of the seats are assigned seating. I can go in and see how many people are going to be there for myself. I will say this movie, I thought it would be tough watching the new movie in the theater because it was a struggle for me to get through the first film. I also want to clarify. Did you watch the original, the OG 84 movie before this new one? <laughs> That's very funny. I started the OG film before and I'm not joking. I think I fell asleep five different times <laughs> in the original and I could not make it through. And so I'm like, screw it. I got, I got maybe a quarter or no, it was about a halfway through uh, the first film, uh, the 1984 version. And then I'm like, I'm going to return to it later, but I also want to watch the new film. And the reason why I was inspired to go to the theater is like, if I'm in the theater, I can't fall asleep. Like I won't. So I'll stay awake. And therefore I'd be like, that'll give me motivation that whatever was causing me to fall asleep during the OG one, I won't do it for the new one. And actually the new one, I'm like, huh, I wonder what it was like to watch this at home because it wasn't bad in the theater, but like no one literally like no one else was reacting because there's one other person did not say a word and even got up and left. Like as soon as the credits hit, that person was gone. And then they ran out <laughs> basically. Yeah. <laughs> but this isn't, I don't think a movie that's going to elicit much audience reaction. Yeah, exactly. Except for laughing out loud when she says liar, liar, pants on fire, which Knowing it was in the movie, my wife and I, we watched it together at home, eagerly were anticipating that line because it is just <laughs> truly stupid. Again, I have no idea if it's in the book. If it's in the book, um, it's actually probably a little better just because King came up with it. But Yeah, I, I, I could see it being in the book. But I mean, there with that, it's also interesting the lines of dialogue that they chose to keep the same as the original film in this new film. And I'm like, I wonder if that's literally ripped from the book. And they're like, we have to keep this identical because this is Stephen King. And we can't think of anything better to say in this part. <laughs> so now you, you say that your wife, Lexi went with you to see this and, or you watch it at home. Did she watch the OG Firestarter as well with you? No, she had no desire. I had to talk her into watching this with me. Now you saw the OG one first, right? No, I watched it after. And oh, okay. I had the same issue where I struggled because they are fairly similar to, uh, you know, story-wise, it doesn't branch too crazy. Um, the, the two of them don't separate themselves too too much. So re-watching or, you know, watching these almost back-to-back, -back, it was hard to sit through the second one, which was the OG version. I think they're both bad, but for different reasons. Uh, I could argue that the 84, I think I like the 84 version a little bit better. I'll say this. We watched, we went on vacation, humble brag, came back on a Friday, watched Firestarter at home on Peacock that night. So Friday night. On Sunday, I text a friend and I go, hey, did you, did you go see anything this weekend? And he listed a couple movies, one of them being Firestarter. And I was going to respond with what I had seen, completely did not have Firestarter on the list. I completely forgot about the, that movie. <laughs> I'll say this. I, I, I own Firestarter, the book, the Stephen King book, have never read it. This does not make me want to read it. Hmm. Interesting. You know, it's funny you say that because I have, I feel the same way. I'm not talking to many who are like, oh yeah, you got to read that. Like for me, I love the book, Christine. I don't think Christine gets enough love. It and, doesn't. Completely and, underrated. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, that book itself, and I love the movie, but they're very different. However, every once in a while, I'll come across someone that feels the same way or I'll hear of someone or like online chat or something like that. 
not at all for Firestarter, which makes me question why do that for this movie? Like why remake the original and then go back to this when there are so many Stephen King stories out there that seem, I'm not going to say more original, but just like you've got more to work with. This story seems so bare bones. Although one of the big complaints I kept hearing about the new movie is it only took a third of the book. So it makes me curious, well, what else is included in the book and why did they cut that out? After watching this new one, I'm like, I know the first, the 84 movie got ripped. Uh, it's not really considered a classic. I know Stephen King, when it was, he was shown a rough cut of the 1984 movie, he said, quote, it's one of the worst of the bunch. Oh my gosh. And I had to wonder, like, this movie, this new one's not good. Why Why did they remake this? Now, like, say we've got Salem's Lot coming up soon. That I can kind of understand why they're wanting to go back to that. But at the same time, we've received multiple iterations of that. And that is, however, one of his more, I'm not going to say more well-known properties, but at least when you say that, like people know what you're talking about. So I think it's just like the name recognition. I just, it baffled me why this movie was remade. Let's go ahead and say, just in case you haven't seen either movie, hit that spoiler button because I'm sure we're going to dive into this. Uh, We haven't really spoiled a whole lot right now, but in case you're worried about getting spoiled, then you may want to return to us. But uh, Drew, you're talking about the story, the overall story. Which of these two films did the story more justice? Even though there's not a lot, which one did you prefer? I feel like for whatever reason, the 84 movie, uh, some of the characters are a little fleshed out better. I feel like we get to spend more time yeah. with Charlie and um, I guess Rainbird is who's played by George C. Scott in the original, there is more of a relationship between those two that I kind of like. It's super creepy. I didn't, I was on edge because I was like, I don't know. I don't know what this guy, he gives me like pedo vibes. I don't know (laughs) what was going on with that whole thing. But I enjoyed the point from where they're like basically taken in and she's in the home. Uh, The back half of the 84 version, I think just works better. So I'd lean OG on that one. I would agree with that. I do think it suffers some pretty big issues overall, just in terms of like the story, the um, structure and the dialogue. There were a lot of cringy moments, I think, from both of these. I think of the new one, I cringed less at than in the OG one, but still both have those uh, those issues. However, the original, I think the main thing that, sucked me in more with the story is that we have more of certain characters. And I think we're able to dive into those a little bit more. For example, like Rainbird in the OG, he's talking about how he basically wanted to take Charlie's powers. Like when she died, he was wanting to, like how he was going to get close to her. And then he, at her happiest moment, was then going to kill her while looking into her eyes as if he was going to be killed at the same time, but take that into, as he said, the afterlife. That's interesting because that sounds so much like a Stephen King type character where they're so deranged that they're justifying their actions. He kind of creates a, not a sympathetic version, but someone who's like, oh, wow, like they seem more human and not just like this, over-the-top or one-dimensional character where like a lot of the newer characters seemed very one-dimensional. Even Charlie seemed pretty one-dimensional overall. But that leads me into the next thing. I felt like a lot of the OG characters were just so weird. Um, (laughs) Like the old- The whole movie feels very, very dated. Yeah, yeah, it does. And like Art Carney showing up as Irv, the old man, I mean, that's awesome seeing Art Carney, but at the same time, it's like, what? Like, there are certain things he said and did that I was so confused by. He he f- stumbles on these two people and they're within, feels like 10 minutes, opening up about being on the run <laughs> and all this stuff. Yeah. And he just like welcomes, welcomes them. It is so weird. 
but there's there's such differences one between how the Rainbird story ends in both movies, and then the like the Irv storyline with the wife and the new one being in like the coma, and then he caused her, he caused the accident. Which one of those is the king version? I don't know the answer, but which feels more king? It's of the of the two herbs, the new one feels more like a king character. Although, once again, I don't know, but that seems more like what King would do with that kind of character. With that story. Now, Rainbird yeah. in the in the original one, he dies like in a fire. In yeah. the new one, he walks to Charlie, who's on the beach. And at this point, her father's been killed, and he picks her up, and they walk off together as the credits roll, which creeped me out. Uh, <laughs> so which one? Which is the King version in that one? Because I, that almost is so weird. It, it does feel like something he would do. It does, but I'll say I don't think either are the King versions, like the King endings. I, I think that they ended up taking the liberties of making both of those their own thing. Yeah, the, the the new one almost feels shocking in a way that they twisted it in in a way that it wasn't intentionally. Yeah, and that's where like the new the new Rainbird just did not have it, it actually made me mad thinking about one thing and it's the fact of he goes and helps them but then he gets arrested and a I'm not going to say allows it but he just kind of gives over and then while he's just awaiting his time and then he gets out, but like you would think that he would be more, I don't know, precise about like getting away and all that. Um, and then the OG Rainbird played by George C. Scott, it was like he was chewing the scenes, but man, they were just like you said, something so strange about his character and how he was treating Charlie. Then I'm like, mm, ah, this is so, this feels so weird. But I got to ask, what do you think about Zac Efron in the new film as the father? I mean, I, I kind of prefer him over David Keith in the original. Yeah. Something about Keith, I think by, you know, as the movie goes on, he gets a little better. But he, I was like, uh, I was not into his performance for a good chunk of yeah. the movie. And they do I that, stu- he, does, he has his power where... It's like the push where he can control whatever you're doing by looking in your eyes. And in that version, he has to like <laughs> squeeze his head, you know, because he's <laughs> suffering such brain pain that it was just so corny. Um, yeah, I thought Efron's better and I wish the movie was better because I think he's actually up to the task. And it's cool. I mean, he's not that old. He's. 34 years old, but this is his, I believe, first acting role where he is a father. So it, it is, yeah. it's nice to see him in something other than a movie where he has to take his shirt off. Though he does take his shirt off in this within probably five minutes. I Very was, early on. I was howling and, and, and you know, letting my wife know <laughs> this is amazing that we're getting treated to the, his amazing body in, in this Stephen King horror film. Loves. Yeah. And that's. I, I agree about Zach from the other thing that I loved is whenever his eyes were bleeding, I'm like, oh, that looks so freaky, but also that's awesome. And this is, I probably won't spend too much time talking about how I feel about this, but overall directing, which one did it better in terms of like, which one looked better? Uh, maybe it's just because it's modern, but the new one yeah. has a, at least a sheen to it that I respected. I still, there's some stylistic choices I wasn't super into, uh, mainly when she, she Charlie was using her powers, some of it. I just, I didn't like the look of it. I understood what they were doing with kind of the steam effect, the haze to it, but mm-hmm. I think it works better than the original one where we just turned a fan on Drew Barrymore's face <laughs> and blew her hair back, which again, uh, logistically, I was like, why is the wind blowing? <laughs> like, what's going on? Yeah. Other than I understand you're trying to signify that she's using her powers. It's just, it's corny as hell. Yeah, I agree. I Now, I did enjoy the steam effect. I think the new one is better overall. And it made me wonder what it would have been like for John Carpenter, John Carpenter to direct the original, which brings me to the next point. The score, the sound. I actually found there's a lot of love online for the original score by Tangerine Dream. It's good. I like it. It feels very much of its time, but 
I dig it. But do you dig it more than JC? No, absolutely not. No. Okay. I told you the one saving grace, I think I texted you. You did. Was, maybe I didn't word it this way, but for me, the saving grace of this movie beyond maybe a couple of performances is the music by John Carpenter, his son Cody Carpenter, and Daniel Davies. The music feels like a conglomerate of, you know, his work on Halloween and then just some of his past stuff like Christine. And I think actually when they reached out to him about doing the music, I think director Keith Thomas said he envisioned, uh, like he worded it somehow about making it like Christine or something. Well, that's actually a really interesting point because I would say that a lot of, the music was, it didn't necessarily necessarily sound a lot like Christine, but there were moments in this where I'm like, oh, I could point back to something Carpenter has done, but at least this has enough where it feels different. And I'm like, I want to hear more of Carpenter outside of Halloween. Yeah, I, I like that this is something that he has no connection to other than making the music. So so Keith Thomas said, we had talked about what's going what it's going to sound like he wanted references. I said Christine in terms of what the sound should feel like and what we're going for. The music, yeah, the the soundtrack and the new one rocked so much. I love it. It's that itself. I've no joke been walking around listening to the actual score for since they dropped it. And there are moments that I love listening to what Carpenter and his his sons put together with this. And like I said, I want to hear more of what he has to contribute to other movies because something like this is enough to get me to watch. Like I told you early on when the first trailer came out, I'm like, I'm not, I don't, I have no interest. And you're like, did you know that Carpenter scored this? I'm like, okay, now it now has my attention. Like I will watch it for that reason. And I think this sounds crazy. I think this movie's worth watching just for the score to see how it's put together. It's like watching a, a mediocre movie because it, it looks beautiful, which there's plenty of movies that it's style or over substance, and I'm, I'm okay with that. I think one of the most interesting things about the 84 movie, and you mentioned this plug here on your Minuteman video. Oh. You need to be plugging those, by the way. <laughs> Every single podcast. But the original 1984 movie, John Carpenter, was offered the, to do the movie by Universal. And Bill Lancaster wrote a screenplay. Stephen King approved it. And then The Thing comes out, John Carpenter's classic, The Thing. Um, It doesn't do well financially, and Carpenter gets replaced. Yeah. And it makes me wonder what kind of movie we could have got in 1984, the the final product that we have. I mean, if Carpenter's doing it, do you think it's a better film? I I do. I think that especially the various styles of how it would look especially with charlie i mean we may have gotten some of that hair blowing i don't know yeah i don't know if that, i don't know if that's in the book or not like who came up with that because the, the screenplay that they ended up using is not the one that carpenter commissioned so i guess you can't compare what could have been because it, it's totally different you know script but i do think carpenter no i mean we love his movies enough that uh, I would trust him with at least making a, you know, stylistically having some smart, cool choices in him. And I, I, I actually think it would be, I would trust him enough uh, to to make that decision in terms of what it would look like, and also the overall story. I think, you know, we we would we would have gotten something special with Carpenter. Uh, I feel that way about pretty much every movie that he's done. Even the ward. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, well, just think Stephen King approved the screenplay, too. I don't know what he... He apparently didn't think much of the new... Or the uh, what the 84 version ended up being. So that feels like a huge... You know, in 2022, looking back, that feels like a huge missed opportunity. Yeah, it does. And that's one thing I wondered if he would have maybe taken a more hands-on approach 
And I mean, I would love there to be a hands-on approach with a project between Carpenter and King and just anything. Now, what if they, what if they announce in, let's say 2023, that Carpenter is going to use that, the original script that King uh, approved of, and he's going to, he's going to shoot that movie. Are you going to get a little more interested in a third, (laughs) third version of Firestarter? Yeah. You have to, right? Because one, it's him coming back. I don't know. I guess he probably shoots it different in 2022 than he does in 1983 or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I I think that's probably the only time I'm going to get excited for another telling of this story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Me too. Um, which I think brings us to, to our final point. Which one do you think is more rewatchable, the old one or the new one? Man, I think... Like I said, I think the 84 one is dated. I think it's worse in different ways. What I think it succeeds at is the final act, especially maybe the last Mm -hmm. 15 to 20 minutes when it's just hell absolutely breaking loose. I think it does it better than the new one. Uh, So I would lean actually the 84 version. I think George C. Scott is super creepy as Rainbird. Um, And I like the last act. I like it's just... I feel like they sunk thirty million dollars into fire explosions, <laughs> and, and it's <laughs> it's more memorable. I honestly couldn't really tell you how the twenty twenty two version ends. Yeah, and that's that's where like the new the new one is. She goes in because Rainbird the uh, he he's locked up and he somehow deceives Charlie in terms of showing up at the facility. But her father, Andy, was not the one to push her or telepathically communicate with her to show her where he is. So she shows up, basically kills everyone. And I mean, the thing is, overall, for that, I was actually, I'll say I was into the new one more. And then the end happens. I'm like, eh, like, I just wish there's a little bit more to it. Um, for that, but this is going to sound probably blasphemous to, although I don't really, I, as we we talked about earlier, I haven't really heard of a lot of fans of the OG film anyways, but, um, I like, I would rewatch the new one over the old one. Um, but I do think like you said, the final act in the 1984 Firestarter is stronger uh, but I will say the one saving grace for me, as you said, uh, right before we started recording, a young Drew Barrymore as Charlie McGee, I prefer her. I was, I was going to ask you, we never, we, we like skipped over her, but which, which Charlie's better? Uh, now I like Ryan, uh, Kiera Armstrong who plays new Charlie, but there's something about Barrymore that I liked. It was just with a different under a different direction. I think she would have done an awesome job. Now, did you like in the uh, the OG one where she like roasts that cat? Or in the oh, new one, I mean? On the new one. So many people were up in arms about that. And I did not. I was like, God, don't kill the cat. There's no way they kill the cat. Oh, they did. And then she freaking <laughs> roasts yeah. it. And it's like lying there meowing, burning to death. <laughs> oh, and I, I, I mean... I kind of like that scene. I don't like the cat killing, but I like uh, you know Efron's character having to say you you have to put it out. You got to put misery. it out of its misery. Yeah. Like it's a learning situation. Uh, it's a <laughs> truly horrible one, but uh, there there is kind of a, a sweetness to that. As weird as that. Yeah. Sounds. No, I completely agree. I think that it's one of those that even though controversial as it may be, I think it drives a point home even more where it's like going against what he wants to do as a character of teaching his daughter, okay, there are going to be consequences. And this is one of the consequences of who we are. And I, I, in that teachable moment, it sucked, but I'm like, I don't like, I understand where people are upset, but I'm like, it's also fake. Like it's, they're not really, you they know, didn't go find a tabby cat to, <laughs> to burn yeah. and set on fire. And so I, that moment itself, I thought was, uh, no pun intended, but a tender moment. Um, and it just, I think if there were a lot of parts like that in the King book, I actually am interested in going back and, and I would be curious to read the King story, but sadly 
after watching both of these, I have less of an interest. I also had this takeaway watching the new one. And I wondered if you felt the same way. If you if it, none of the, if you didn't know this was based on a Stephen King novel and none of the marketing said based on the Stephen King novel, would you in any way watch this and then go, oh, wow, that felt Stephen King to me? Not at all. It's so generic. Yeah, it Everything is. about it, story-wise, there's, there's really no twists and turns that are surprising. And I agree. I, I think that was one of my big biggest complaints was just it doesn't feel king to me. It feels generic. It feels like something we've seen a million times. Now, granted, that book that Stephen King wrote came way out in 1980. The one bit that did stand out to me is the OG Rainbird, where George C. Scott, as I mentioned, he was like wanting to take her powers into the afterlife. And you have that kind of struggle of good and evil, but it's also in this really demented, adultered version of what good and evil is, you know? And that seems very king-like, but outside of that, like the story, the characters, Andy, Charlie, they all seem very, I don't know, not king-like. Now, maybe outside the current Irv for the new film, that Irv seemed a little bit like a king character, but also like the, I'm curious which one it follows closer. The grabbing his head, like what David Keith ended up doing, or <laughs> it's so corny. You know, it's terrible. It's awful. Or he looks like he's like literally one. It looks very uncomfortable. Like he's got he's having an aneurysm or something. Which I, I don't like head stuff. You know, injuries, people hitting their heads, and then it's just it's like the, the thing in in the kind of the newer X Men ones where James McAvoy has to put like his fingers to his temple. Because apparently the audience is so stupid <laughs> that they can't figure out that he's using his powers. Now that's I think it's offensive in that way. I understand what you're doing. You don't need to like overact it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So before we go, there's been a number of Stephen King film adaptations in the 2010s. This is the first one in the 2020s. Let's let's kind of think where Firestarter fits. Uh, in the 2010s, we had Carrie, we had Mercy, which is based on a short story, Grandma. Never heard of the short story, never even heard of this film adaptation. Uh, we have The Dark Tower, It, Chapter 1 and 2, Gerald's Game, 1922, Pet Cemetery, In the Tall Grass, and then Dr. Sleep. This year, we had Firestarter. Where does Firestarter sit among these recent adaptations? Is it a high, mid, low tier? And then do you have a you have a personal favorite of all of these. And let's count let's count it as one. Chapter chapter 1 and 2 is just like one big film. Oh man, I would say based on that list, I would probably put Firestarter at the bottom of the mid tier or top of the low tier. I will say my favorite of all of those is Doctor Sleep. I really like that movie. Like there, there's something about that to me that feels so special. It's so good. Would you say the there's like a director's cut, or mm-hmm. I actually believe the theatrical one is better. There, I do too. I like the expanded version, but there's nothing about it that makes it feel different. It just feels. I mean, honestly, I watched it and didn't really notice a massive difference. I would lean towards that being my, the highest, and then if we're counting it. Uh, as just one big film. I really like that that adaptation. I've been itching to watch Chapter mm-hmm. 2 for a while now. It's one that I was a little underwhelmed with the first time yeah. watching it because it feels like there's so much to it. But I've kind of grown to really respect that movie, and it's it's kind of a king like film masterpiece. And I recently heard someone ripping on the second part, and... I want to go back and rewatch it because I don't think it's bad. I just, I, when I, when it first came out, I really liked it. And then after the fact, the more I thought about it, I'm like, eh, it's not as good as what I was like holding it up to be. But I also don't think it's bad. Like I, I, I have to give Warner respect for making a three hour, you oh, know, yeah. chapter two movie. It feels bloated, but in a way that I respect. They really shoved a lot in there. 
It has some really bad de-aging of the kids. Yeah. Especially, like Finn Wolfhard especially looks awful. It's distracting. But overall, I think that one's really good. Firestarter, it, it might be the very bottom. I did not like In the Tall Grass, though. I think that's probably my least favorite. Firestarter's probably a notch above that. Or I have 1922 pretty low on that list. That's that's a Netflix one. Honestly, for myself, In the Tall Grass, I have not thought a lot about that at all. And the same way with Thomas Jane. However, one as well that I often overlook and i've recently talked about it is gerald's game uh that still is like toward the bottom just because it's so bare bones it's such a bare bones story but i like it um overall it is it's bare bones but it looks good mike flanagan does a good job and then as we if you've listened to that podcast one carla gugino is just gorgeous and, and and great and everything but we got bruce greenwood who he is 65 years old now. That movie came out three or four years ago, it seems like. We'll say he's early 60s when he shot that movie, and he's got he's got a bod that you just you admire. One that I actually am jealous of. <laughs> he's lean and mean, and I, I was just, I couldn't stop staring at his bod the entire yeah. film. I think even when he was dead, he looked fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but yeah, that, that one's, that one's, um, it's hard to do like kind of those bottle episodes where everything is confined to a singular space and there's not much to it. Yeah. It's generally not going to be something that I want to return to a lot. Uh, we officially have three movies in development for 2022, 2023. We have Salem's Lot, which we mentioned, which being which is being d- done by Gary Doberman, who is notable for doing a bunch of James Wan stuff like Annabelle Creation, mm-hmm. The Nun, Annabelle Comes Home, and then he also wrote It Chapter 1 and 2. He's writing and directing this new version, which I'm super excited for. I've never seen the original. I've read the book. It's been a long time since I've read it. I've never thought of it as one of my favorite King, but this was something that I read, uh, you know, a decade plus ago. So I want to reread it to see if it, it grows on me. And then we have Mr. Harrigan's Phone, which is... Uh, one of the novellas in If It Bleeds from a few years mm-hmm. ago. It's a it's a short story that I really dug. Coming to Netflix, though, which kind of blows. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, can we stop giving Netflix stuff? And then we have The Boogeyman in 2023, which is a 1978 short story by Stephen King. I don't know much about this. Mm-hmm. I've never read it. I uh, can't say I'm super stoked, but Salem's Lot, it's uh, of the ones coming up that we know are, are officially happening. It's got to be at the top of the list. Yeah, that's, I, I'm excited for all three of those. And since I've seen the OG Salem's Lot and the second film and the miniseries with none other than Rob Lowe, uh, which I actually like, it's not like great, but it's worth watching. And uh, of those, it's funny because I really want to go back and rewatch all of those before the Gary Doberman version comes out because I think there's something different in those, in, in not only the first film in the miniseries, but also the second film. And I don't want to give anything away, but there's just a unique choice, like creative choice. Um, I've got the book and I've never read it. I've started it, but I've never read the book. And I think I will before that comes out because honestly, there's something so King-like about the story and I really dig it, but it's like a good ghost story type book or story overall. So I don't know which one is higher on my list because all of those sound awesome to me and they're all wildly different. And I'm just ready to see what Gary Doberman has in store for us with Salem Slot, and especially with the vampire. Like, I just want to see what is his design. Yeah, it's supposed to come out in September. Now we have a bunch of undated films. We don't need to go over them all because there's, um, let's say, around 15 on this list. Some of the big ones, though, are Christine, which is supposed to be done by Brian Fuller. He's had his name attached to 
40,000 projects that never actually get made. <laughs> yeah. So then this is one of those that I'm like, I don't see you ever making this movie. We have a new version of The Dark Half. We have Elevation, Firma Buick 8, The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon, and then uh, just some other ones. Edgar Wright's supposed to be doing a version of The Running Man, which was done, I don't know, when was that original version? I want to say it was 85? 87, no, 1987 okay. with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm sure this will be radically different. I don't think that one was accurate to what King wrote. Yeah. Um, James Wan has been attached to the Tommy Knockers. And then one that I've wanted to see adapted, and I think Mike Flanagan had his name attached to this for a long time, for a little bit, is Revival, which is one of my oh, yeah. favorite Stephen King novels in the past decade. Came out in 2014. I I want to see a good version of this. I think it probably is better suited for maybe... Um, I don't know, a five to six episode series on hope something like Apple yeah. or HBO or something. Let's avoid Netflix for just a little bit. <laughs> so I, I, I don't know. I This is supposedly in the works uh, for a film version. So there's a lot to look forward to if you're a King fanatic, assuming that this these projects turn out halfway decent. There's Scott Derrickson, who did Doctor Strange and Sinister, uh, is attached to do The Breathing Method with Blumhouse. And The Breathing Method is one that I recently read because it's part of Different Season, which is a, a collection of four novellas, which includes uh, the one, the story that w- inspired Stand By Me. I don't know how on earth The Breathing Method is going to be turned into a feature film. Yeah. Of all the things that he's got his name attached to, Scott Derrickson, I don't fully understand why you would choose this one but and it's not that i don't like the story i just don't think there's enough meat on that bone to turn that into a a reasonable film so that's i guess intriguing and the fact that blumhouse wants to do it it's interesting there's so many adaptations in the works and they range from warner netflix 20th century fox blumhouse sony mgm and then we have Village Roadshow Pictures, Renegade, Lionsgate, New Line Cinema, Legendary, Paramount, Intrepid Pictures, HBO Max. Uh, and I don't know if I mentioned Universal. I don't think I did. There's so many <laughs> studios involved in these upcoming projects no. that it's, I guess, great for King's pocketbook. <laughs> he's, making, yeah. he's making billions of dollars, but the, you know the content just is going to vary so crazy. Yeah. And let's say 15 projects come out. I bet only three or four of these are really good. The rest are mediocre at best. I mean, there's so much to draw on for King, but I also wonder if some of his stories could be combined and you can merge them or heck, even do like an anthology series for like It Bleeds. I was going to say do an anthology movie. You have a two-hour movie, 30-minute shorts for... Uh, four stories, and how freaking dope would that be? You have a different filmmaker for everyone, make it look, make each 30-minute movie or whatever look really good, and I would go see that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's where, I, it's, and that's where I, I'm like, let's get something that's a little longer. Maybe it's like a mini series, but we get like the Kingverse, and it's brought, I mean, not doing all of the Dark Tower, but I, eventually I want to see that. However, that that's something like maybe change the format a little bit because there's a lot to draw on, but maybe we cut it down. Maybe it's not like maybe Firestarter is a 30-minute you know, short film and this anthology instead of a full-blown film. Now, we have mentioned If It Bleeds because that's got Mr. Harrigan's phone in it. That's... Uh, being turned into a film for Netflix, but that's a good idea. You have, it just say HBO Max buys if it bleeds, and then the four stories that are that make oh, up man. that book, turn them into forty-five minute to an hour uh, movies that just premiere on the streaming service. That would be that would, that be, would be awesome. Yeah. Now, do you think I would love that? One last question. We we mentioned um, the Dark Tower that. 2017 version came out and obviously it's a we we feel it's a 
a, a greatest hits collection of those books, which I I'm in the middle of book four right now. So I can't fully attest to that entirely, but uh, do you think in your lifetime you're going to get an adaptation of that? All how many books are there? Seven. <sighs> Seven. Whether it's films, whether it's let's do three seasons and tell this massive story. Do you think that's ever going to get done? I would love to see someone like Mike Flanagan come in and be the Kevin Feige who connects all these stories in the King verse, and you've got the Dark Tower to tie it all together, but. How the heck are you going to do that with a young gunslinger known as Jake, the young boy in this, without making him age? So that will be difficult. Um, I would love to see that. But I think, yes, we will see something that will end up dealing with um, the Dark Tower itself. Maybe I would love to see it as a miniseries, but... I'm worried about the like that needs to have a hefty budget. That's going to be a very costly production. So I think, yes, we will, but it may be a little while since the last one ended up tanking harder than Firestarter, the new one at the <laughs> box office. We never talked about that. It sits at this new Firestarter sits at 11% on Rotten Tomatoes. I believe it's only its opening weekend. What did it make? It, it's made. Uh, I, I should have just looked this up before I started railing on it. But we have Firestarter. <laughs> it uh, it's only made five million dollars here in the U.S. in the first week. It opened just under four million, made two million international, so just over seven million worldwide. That is, ah, uh, that's that's really terrible. it's terrible. There's no other way to say it. I do wonder how many people tuned in on Peacock, but I. I bet the numbers aren't good. Yeah, you know that they're delaying the release of those numbers. They're just fudging it somehow. Just never bring it up, probably. Yeah, it's like every time someone played a trailer, that counts as a view. <laughs> I mean... Some BS. We said this going into it, and I think you feel the same way. The trailer was not good. So going into this, oh, I was yeah. like, I don't think this is going to be good because the three-minute preview that they initially released was awful. Oh yeah, and it, it uh, yeah it showed it. So disappointing, but they can't all be winners. <laughs> yeah, that's, I guess that's true. <laughs> um, so yeah, that I guess that wraps up what ended up being a fairly lengthy Stephen King combo. I have to ask: Are you are your allergies kicking your butt? Mm. What's going on with you? Yeah, it sounds like I've been smoking a pack for the my entire life, a pack of uh, Stogies and. Yeah, I'm sure it sounds like it, but um, allergies are really bad here. And no joke, I cleaned off my uh, chair that sits out kind of on a deck patio, cleaned it off the other night, and then two days later, it's covered in pollen. And so that's been rough. And the other thing that makes it difficult is for myself, I'm allergic to every single tree pollen here in the area, along with grass pollen and mold. And it's been raining on and off. And that for everyone's like, well, at least the rain has helped settling that. I'm like, no, it kicks it up for me. <laughs> it's even worse. And yeah, it's like when my body's just getting used to the other uh, pollen counts, uh, the it's suffering because it's trying to catch up with mold uh, or combat that. But um, it's not as bad as it has been. I made it through without hacking up a lung. So that's good. It is good. Well, I hope you get to feeling better. Today I woke up and basically my voice was gone, but it slowly started coming back. Uh, and it's doable, but I definitely can't shout like how I used to. I think that it's probably for the best. I think it gives <laughs> your voice a, kind of a little, uh, like an edgy sexiness to it. I'm I'm trying I'm trying my best to end up uh, changing my persona so that I sound a little bit more like a gravelly Jeff Bridges as he's aged. <laughs> oh, is he doing okay? Doesn't he have cancer or something? Oh, serious? Doesn't he? I had no idea. I hope not. I thought he did. <laughs> I'm... Oh my gosh! Now I feel awful for saying that because. I don't know if it's like throat cancer, but yeah, he, his cancer is in remission, according to this article from September oh 2021. Gosh. 
that's t- now I feel like a jerk because I just ended up saying that because he ended up just with like from more or less Iron Man on, he sounds different, like versus whenever he was in the first Tron to like when he came back for Tron Legacy. Uh, I mean, he sounds great, but it just that sound change from whenever he was in Starman versus say Tron Legacy or Iron Man is just noticeably different. So that's how I feel. Yeah, he he was diagnosed with uh, lymphoma in 2020. Well, oh he's he's uh, hopefully doing better. We wish you the best of luck. Yeah, Mr. Mr. Joe. We know you're listening because why wouldn't you be? He he loves us. He, he loves, loves us, us that much. And he loves Stephen King and he really loved the 2022 Firestarter. So he had to tune in to see what we thought, you know. Yeah, he he's a big King fan, but he's also a big quality check podcast fan. Yeah, more of a, a QC fan. Yeah. So so next week, there's a bunch of summer movies. We're gonna say the summer movie Ooh. season kicks off with Top Gun Maverick. And there's a bunch coming out over the next couple months. We're gonna rank what we're excited for from you know, from top to bottom. I don't know how many movies it's gonna be, probably like ten. It's gonna it's gonna be a four hour podcast. <laughs> And then we're going to update the Rotten Tomatoes game, which spoiler alert, um, for we're doing we're doing part one. It's it's January through June, or th- yeah, through June. I don't think there's a way you can win. I'm at worried this, at this rate. We'll we'll officially kind of update that next week. I need Bob's Burgers to come in and save me. Even then, I don't think you can. We're gonna we're gonna figure this out. Uh, it's not looking good for you. Yeah, it's looking pretty disastrous. Ooh, man, it's looking like the uh, box office results for Firestarter. Oh, and then I mean, I'm stoked for Maverick. I'm getting hyped. Yeah, getting weak. It's looking good. It's looking solid. And more than that, I mean, I can't believe these reviews, but we're inching closer. And gotta say, love me some uh, some high flying action and it looks like once again Tom Cruise is putting his life on the line just to bring in some <laughs> high octane he put his life on the line like five years ago because remember this <laughs> yeah. was supposed to come out in 2020 yeah it's um, very true I'm, I'm excited we're, and then we're going to obviously talk about Maverick down the line we're going to talk about some big Tom Cruise movies that we've never seen and I knocked one off the other Let's. we need to wrap this up but I did knock off a, a Tom Cruise movie that <laughs> I thought was held in higher regard until I watched the movie and then went to Rotten Tomatoes and saw the score. And it was really low. And I was like, oh, wow. I thought this was kind of one of his more popular movies and apparently it wasn't. So we got uh, a lot of fun things coming up. Love's hard. Well, I'm excited for that and everything that we've got in store to deliver because there's a lot. And until that next time brings us together, For all of you out there listening, I've got one thing to say. Keep watching.